we had 10 SDRs at one point and our opportunity creation per SDR was like dramatically lower than when we had like three. And now we're back down to two SDRs who are feeding seven account executives. And we have a really amazing inbound game because we have all this like crazy revenue operations and sales management and sales leadership content. And we have two SDRs who are generating as many opportunities as like eight previously were. That's Pete, the founder of Atrium. They've raised from funds like CRV, First Round, and Craft Ventures. How do you go from 10 SDRs to two and generate more business for your AEs. In 2016, I started Modern Sales Pros community. At this point, it's like 35,000. And it's like this amazing community for like your education. And so we just do a really good job of syndicating our content across that community. And when I say content, a lot of people think of like content marketing as kind of clickbait. You know, we have like a dozen master classes, many of which are variations of each other. This one's on setting and managing with goals. And this one's data-driven coaching, which also has goals in it. Just like having lots of that very expert content available for folks and then just like broadcasting it as much as possible. It's no surprise that having a great community with expert content is going to make an impact on your business. But how do you do that? Can you pay people to do that? Or does the founder need to actually generate the content? Good SaaS is opinionated workflows. It's come from is like a good comp comprehension of what ought to be done, expertise. And so you kind of have to have that expertise in your organization. In our case, like I'm kind of like grandpa RevOps here, who probably in the top 0.1% people who comprehend data-driven sales management. And so then as a result, the content kind of has to come from that person. Now they can partner with a product marketing manager or a marketer or what have you. Hey, partner with me share my brain i'll dictate to you or like we'll work together in order to create and then like you're gonna then blow this up and make it get pretty and and refine and then we're gonna iterate it and then i'll be the one who like presents it at saster or or what have you enjoy it boom welcome to sit down startup founder podcast we interview the best founders in the world and ask them what they did in the early days right before that hockey stick growth moment i'm your host adam o'donnell a former founder i live here in san francisco and i now work for zendesk for startups zendesk is a customer support platform and we offer six months free to qualified product oriented startups this week's partner shout out goes to two great partners first yext they have a content management hub to help build consumer grade experiences. Check out their $35,000 offer in the show notes. And second, Forecaster, they make financial modeling easy for founders. Thank you. Check out their deal to get 20% off. Pete, it's, it's incredible to have you on Sit Down Startup, Zendesk's founder podcast and talking about your just experience growing Atrium. First, would you just kind of tell us what you do and how big the company is now as we get going? Yeah, for sure. So um, Atrium makes what we call data-driven sales management software. So it's software that helps organizations embed a culture of data-driven sales management um, from top to bottom in their in their orgs. Um, and the mechanism by which they, it, it does that is, is by helping sales managers um, use data to improve team performance. Um, so the way that Atrium does that is it continuously monitors dozens of KPIs like AE and SDR KPIs, and then proactively uh, alerts managers and, and leaders and, and reps when something is off with you know the rep team, et cetera. And so what this does is it helps managers get to coaching insights faster um, to, so they can change the behavior of that AE or that SDR or what have you in order to uh, in order to win. And so one of the cool things about this is that it takes about two minutes to set up a, a free account via a read-only connection to your Salesforce CRM. Super easy. I, I want to dive into that. I'm sure that was a gross <laughs> tactic intentional, but how much money have you raised or how big is the company now? 
Yeah, so the organization is about 35 people, I want to say right now. I'd have to go look specifically. Um, and, um, um, but so the organization's about uh, about 35 people or so. Uh, we're primarily based in San Francisco, but we also have, um, you know, some uh, some distributed teammates as well. And um, yeah, as you mentioned, we've raised um, a bit of venture capital. So we're, um, you know, initially funded by Charles River Ventures and First Round Capital. Um, we then also work with uh, Bonfire Ventures um, out of uh, out of LA and Santa Barbara. And then most recently we raised the Series A from Craft uh, Ventures um, here in San Francisco. Congratulations. Uh, I know that's no small feat and the numbers on Crunchbase are showing over 30 million. So really cool to see the traction that you've already have. The The question that we've kind of readjusted recently is just, what well, can you tell us about a time when you thought the business was going to fail? Basically just a, an authentic <laughs> low moment to start us out here because it's a tough time for a lot of founders out there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think like, look, you're before you hit like $10 million in ARR, like if that's not happening quarterly, like you're probably like not doing your job, right? And I, I think that that's just Ben Horowitz and the hard thing about hard things, you know, calls it the, the WeFio moment, reflect it's over, WFIO. Um, like, yeah, if you're not having that, like at least quarterly, like you're probably not doing it right. And like the reality is, is that that's, yeah, like, so I can think of a variety of those, right? Like it could be um, in early 2020 when we were at like, whatever it was, like, I don't know, a few hundred thousand dollars in ARR um, with like good retention metrics. And like, we were like, all right, cool. We're going to like, you know, we'll probably raise like a small series A coming in here, like the first half of, of 2020. And you know, we're getting ready for that fundraise and it's like February and like, there's like weird stuff going on in China. It's unclear what's going on, et cetera. And then like, you know, start taking initial meetings and like take the first couple of meetings in person and then maybe take the next couple of meetings like over Zoom. Oh, normally we do this in person. And so like, I mean, that that's like, that's an example. Like, oh man, what the heck, right? And like all of a sudden nobody's buying anything for like two or three months. And then all of a sudden, like everyone's buying everything, <laughs> right? As like the money taps turn on. And so I think like, yeah, if you're not having like existential dread at like, you know, at least quarterly, like you're probably not doing it right. And, and, uh, and like, it's just, and that's probably not going to stop until you get to like very serious exit velocity, which is like probably not 4 million in ARR, probably not seven. It's probably like 10 at which point you're like, all right, cool. Like we'd have to try very hard to like, you know, to, to break this thing. Absolutely. And I, I think that's a good word for founders out there that are in a difficult time and there's always challenging seasons. I think it's easy to look back and be like, Oh, 2021 was 2021 was perfect, but it, it certainly wasn't, or parts of 2022 were as well. Like there's always challenging times. There are different types of challenges, but that's a great point. Yeah. And I think, well, I mean, the, the 2021 thing um, is, um, you know, I think the other thing too is like people thought that it was good, but um, I've been talking with like a lot of, you know, my uh, friends who are, who are founders and, and like investors and what have you, but like also, um, you know, like the threshold of product market fit really kind of like changes contingent on how, like how expansionary and how loose budgets are. So um, I think a lot of founders potentially had like rainbows blown up there here um, in 20, like late second half of 2020 and 2021, where it's just like, oh man, like, 
look at our win rates and look at our like people lo- like wow you know everyone's like wow, people are buying from us or et cetera et cetera and then you know you come up on those renewals and 2022 and we're having you really kind of see the difference between okay like is this a critical must-have right or is this something that was like kind of speculative and now all of a sudden that like interest rates are much higher and hurdle rates are higher all of a sudden people are are like mm, maybe we can do without that that thing so i think it's actually a um you know the the like the the quote-unquote hardness of like 2022 is is actually very clarifying because people you know, maybe thought that they were further along than they were. And so like at the end of the day, the important thing is like making sure that people are getting utility out of your software. And what that means is like usage and verified business outcomes and things like that. And, and just make like, just because people will give you money um, doesn't necessarily mean that you've gotten to product market fit. It has to be like, you know, the, the, the old test of like, you know, how disappointed would you be if you didn't, how disappointed would you be if you didn't have this in your life, you, if you weren't able to use this? And of course, like another way, like the more metrical way of looking at that is via usage and like business outcomes and what have you. Absolutely, man. You're, you're speaking our language here at Zendesk. This is not the reason that we do this podcast to just hit people over the head with the importance of customer experience, but it's funny how it oh. just comes up in that growth story. So you're, you're oh, basically totally. just yeah, you're coming, you're just going back in the journey of so like acquiring a customer, congratulations, but did they stay after a year? Okay, maybe even congratulations if it was an easy year, like uh, where money's flowing, but even, you know, the next year, are, are they continuing to do that? How likely are they to stay? What What's some of the strategies that you've used to be able to identify those business outcomes were actually achieved to like feel good about your your book of business? Yeah, well, um, our, our director of customer success is this woman, Bridget Seacard, who's um, both very talented and also hilarious. And um, and she has this like delightful turn of phrase where in, in Atrium's case, one of the cool, cool things is because like we're this vertical analytics solution that's for, you know, very specific like tactical data-driven sales management. Um, you can see like the business outcomes in the software, right? So Bridget's joke associated with this is like good chart go up, bad chart go down, right? Um, and and so what what we do there like organizations come to us because they want to manage their their business by metric they want to help their managers manage by metric they want to like instill this um this culture of of data driven sales management and so what that means is like oh we have this pipeline hygiene problem as indicated by our reps have lots of untouched opportunities right and so subsequent to deploying atrium those untouched offer, like the average number of untouched opportunities a rep has, like 30 days untouched opportunities that a rep might have, like, you know, goes from 10 to two across like, you know, 50 reps or what have you, or, hey, we had to lay off like half of the SDR team. So our AEs have to be doing a lot more prospecting right now, right? Subsequent to deploying Atrium, we we like, you know, historically the, the amount of like prospecting activity that account executives were doing on a weekly or monthly basis and, and opportunity creation coming out of that might've been like, here and then subsequent to managing those metrics you know um hands-on like now all of a sudden the AEs are prospecting four times as much and five times as much and doing a bunch so it's kind of and then the important thing is like those outcomes are good right you know bad chart goes down good chart goes up but then what you have to do is document them and then record them right like document record them and then make sure that the organization, the customer organization recognizes like, oh, like look at this utility that was captured here that it connects to like a business outcome and then make sure that they're like, that's being consumed on a, on a quarterly basis ahead of a renewal, et cetera. 
I, I love that. It's it's like you can't just stop with what you're saying. Like good chart goes up, bad chart goes down. You can't just like share that. And, and I I had this experience. We we were working on like a lead fund. We ended up pivoting a couple of times and trying to sell like basically better. Uh, lead conversion for for marketers trying to get people to sign up for like white papers and stuff like that and and we we could like prove that we were delivering a better ROI or a better conversion rate but yet we still had a lot of people leave and it was really perplexing to me because there were there were other forces that we hadn't put into account in like this is the right business metric according to us who isn't actually your customer so mm-hmm. I, I love how I love hearing like the details on that you've like kind of illuminated there what's one of the things that you would have gone and done differently in your journey so far, knowing what you now know? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the thing there is that like everyone should just be like, like there's a stepwise process for understanding that you're advancing against your, your business goals. Um, And so just kind of like getting out of step too quickly is, is always kind of like the thing that you have to be careful about. Um, and so a lot of organizations, that means like, you know, hiring too many account executives too quickly. Um, I think we had that a little bit of the first half of 2022, but like not too bad, right? It's not like we jumped, like, you know, we have seven account executives right now. It's, it's not like that we jumped out to like 20 or 30 or what have you. It's just like, yeah, we you know, maybe hired a little bit too quickly and maybe we're a little loosey goosey with, um, you know, the appropriate um, hiring profile there and, and so on and so forth. But I think it's just kind of like, it's very difficult to like skip steps. Um, and, um, and I think everyone is, you know, can really appreciate that right, right now. And I think we're not any, any sort of different there. Um, and then using the opportunity for like, a, a, like a less expansionary environment to, um, to kind of get back to basics. Like I'll give you an example. Like we had, you know, 10 SDRs at one point and our, um, you know, our opportunity creation per SDR um, was like dramatically, dramatically lower than when we had like three. And now we're back down to like two, you know, two SDRs who are feeding seven account executives. And like, we have a really amazing inbound game because we have all this like crazy, um, like revenue operations and sales management and sales leadership content that, um, that people really like. And, you know, we have like, two SDRs who are generating as many, like as many opportunities as like eight previously were. Right. And so, you know, that'll, that'll really change the economics of uh, like, that'll really change the economics of your, your cost per SAO when, you know, two head count and the associated with salary expense are generating the same, you know, um, you know, meeting count as, as eight folks. Right. That is interesting. And that kind of goes into the next question, which is one of the most, what's one of the most impactful growth strategies that you've used? Uh, it sounds like you just alluded on part of it, but I'd love to hear if you could tell us that. Yeah. So I think the the big thing that we have here at Atrium um, that's a little bit of a superpower is we have the, um, in 2016, I started um, the modern modern sales pros community. So it's the nation's largest community of sales operations, sales management, sales leadership folks. And um, at this point, it's like 35,000 sales operations, sales, uh, sales leadership, sales management folks. You can just Google modern sales pros. And it's like this amazing community for like peer, um, peer education. And, um, and so we just do a really good job of kind of like syndicating our content across that, um, across that community. Um, and so I think that like the mechanism, and when I say content, 
what I mean by that is like a lot of people think of like content marketing is kind of like clickbait and kind of like, you know, listicles and things like that. And, and what we really are focused on is because we're pulling the sales management and sales leadership into this like post like management by metric world. Um, a lot of that is like very heavy education. So it's lots and lots and lots of like master classes and webinars and just kind of like, as Nick Meta likes to say, just kind of like repeating yourself until you're blue in the face, right? Um, and so I think that we've done a pretty good job of that. Like if you go to our resource library on the Atrium website, you know, we have like a dozen master classes, many of which are, you know, like kind of variations of each other. Like this one's on setting and managing with goals and this one's on uh, data-driven like coaching or whatever, like which also has goals in it. Right. And so like more focus on like the, the coaching behavior, um, you know, and um, but yeah, just like having lots of that very expert, expert content um, uh, out available for folks and then just like broadcasting it as much as possible. has been very powerful for us. Ah, that takes a lot of time. Help me with what that team looks like. Who's actually managing it. How much are you involved in that? Yeah. I mean, we don't really like have it team doing that like it's a lot of that is me um because i like i'm part of our like good SaaS is kind of like opinionated workflows opinionated best practice workflows and so we're like opinionated best practice workflows come from is like a good com comprehension of like what ought to be done kind of like expertise and so you kind of have to have that expertise in your organization um either through doing a bunch of good research and kind of like getting up to the tip of like the, the state of the art. And, and we, we certainly have that. Right. So where in our case, like I'm kind of like grandpa RevOps here um, who knows about, you know, like is, is probably in the, you know, top 0.1% uh, percentile of people who comprehend data-driven sales management and how to use metrics to, um, to measure and manage and improve, you know, teams and, and what have you. And so then as a result, like the content kind of has to come from that person um, versus having kind of like, now they can partner with like uh, a product marketing manager or a marketer or what have you, but then kind of like relying on somebody like, Hey, like go make up some, that's probably a pretty tough thing to do versus like, Hey, partner with me, share my brain. I'll dictate to you or like, we'll work together in order to create. And then like, you're going to then, glow this up and make it make it pretty and, and refine and then we're going to iterate it and then i'll be the one who like presents it at saster or or what have you that's probably the more effective way of going about that that is really good i think when you if you're not the one doing it it's just going to get watered down and be like everything else but because you're on the cutting edge yourself you're just documenting those experiences to help bring people yeah. up to where you already are and what percentage of your time are you spending on that um, I think the way that we do it is like, you know, we, we like, as you have more and more of this content, you kind of like remix the slides together. So it kind of becomes less, uh, less challenging, but um, you know, I probably do like two or three events a week and, and then our marketing team, like they're setting it up, like doing the promotion, doing the lead, like doing the registration capture, all that sort of stuff. And then, you know, I have to show up and do the presentation or what have you. And then sometimes it's like recorded um, and it's like, you know, here's Pete giving this presentation, but it's actually Pete, like, you know, a month ago um, doing the presentation. Um, 
but but the point is is that like that can be very effective because at any given point in time somebody may have a different problem than they had previously and so like whereas three months ago i really didn't care about like setting and managing with goals but now all of a sudden i've gotten to the point where i have 10 account executives instead of five and now i really need to think about like setting consistent goals across the entire team or you know previous like i like all last year as a vp of revenue operations i was you know mired in deploying a cpq system and and now the big initiative for this year is um, making sure that our managers have a consistent manager sales management motion and like you know a good operating rhythm tied with the like um, associated metrical assets and like now I'm really focused on that because it's an initiative for me and like oh cool now I'm going to consume this content and and oh great Atrium seems like a great way of doing that I'm so glad that I consume this content you know that's so good well the the this has been amazing the last question is what did you want to be when you grew up. <laughs> if you haven't already grown up yet. <laughs> Shoot, man. I don't think I'm like, I don't know if I, I know about that. Like so long ago, like uh, so long ago in a galaxy far, far away. But I think like, um, you know, when I was in, when I was in college, I think um, I really kind of got the like entrepreneurship bug because, um, and mainly because like, there's really nothing better than seeing a problem, conceiving of a solution, you know, being able to test that solution very rapidly. And so, you know, being an entrepreneur, being a founder is a great way of doing that. But even like within an organization, like one of the things I like to say to our sales team is that we are like the product managers like of, of our sales organization. And so, you know, just that loop of like identifying a problem, tackling it, like, you know, forming a hypothesis, seeing whether or not it, it hit and then like looping back again to the next problem. Or if you didn't solve the problem, like you know, continue to honey badger it is, um, is part and parcel of how we, you know, make people like, like solve problems. And so whether that's like doing it with a company or like doing it in your individual role, um, I think that's really rewarding. Man, I love that. It, it's just the ultimate like Lego playground <laughs> you can work on <laughs> is what I'm hearing. So I, yeah. I, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, you bet, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about Zendesk for startups, check out our website, zendesk.com slash startups. Also, we're always looking to improve. So don't hesitate to email me with any feedback on how we can ask better questions, guess the target, or anything else that we can do to better help you as a founder. My email is adam.odonnell at zendesk.com.